We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 today, as we are walking through the book of Colossians in this watershed sermon series, looking at the idea that who Christ is and what he did through his, the cross and the resurrection is not just a watershed moment in human history, it's a watershed moment in our personal lives. What Christ did changes everything about us. It's not just some truth we add on to our already full-packed, busy lives. It's not just some distant future hope that maybe someday we get to go to heaven. It is this watershed moment. We were this, sinners destined for death, and now we are this, alive through Jesus Christ. So that's why I've uh, titled this Watershed as a series. And today I want to talk about the idea of having a positive mental attitude. Have you ever heard that phrase? Just need to have a positive mental attitude. Anybody ever heard that? Maybe in like training, corporate training or self-help books. I I did a little bit of research. This phrase, I I doubt it was the first time it was ever mentioned, but it was popularized in a book that came out in 1937 on uh, how to get rich. And and you're going to see that's actually kind of a trend in this movement. And the author states that someone's chances of success are directly linked to having a right mindset. A positive mental attitude leads to success. That's what the author said. I want to be clear. I'm not saying this. This is what the author said. I'm not going to say who it is or what the book is because I can't suggest this. I don't recommend it. I, I think that what he's saying is wrong. Uh, he's, he goes on to say, whatever your mind can conceive and can believe it can achieve. So if you think it, it will come to you. That's what this author is talking about. This comes up again and again. Self-help, how to get rich, corporate philosophy, secular humanistic philosophy. This came up in the early 2000s and was made popular on the Oprah show. Maybe you've heard of her. And it was this, uh, this secret, the secret to life. And she had the author to this book, and she had found the secret to life in this dark moment of her time. And interestingly enough, she came to these conclusions when she read a book called The Science of Getting Rich. You see a trend here? And the author describes the core of the secret by saying, what we do is that we attract into our lives the things we want. That is based on what we're thinking and feeling. And the article describing this author in the book goes on to say, the principle explains that we create our own circumstances by the choices we make in life. And the choices we make are fueled by our thoughts, which means our thoughts are the most powerful things we have here on earth. Praise God that's not true. I want to be careful here. There is truth in some of these things. Like all easily and pervasive lies, there is some truth in it. So I don't want to just throw it all out. But this philosophy that's behind the idea of a a positive uh, mental attitude or this idea that we shape our reality by our own thinking, this is very prevalent in the secular world. That's those that aren't religious in any way. Uh, But it's even caught on among some so-called Christian teachers and preachers. One of the most famous of these, and again, I won't mention his name, uh, but you've heard of him, 
If you'll keep your mind filled with the right thoughts, there won't be any room for the wrong thoughts. In other words, all through the day, something good is going to happen to me. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm talented. I will pass this test. I will meet the right people. I will overcome this obstacle. My best days are still out in front of me. When your mind is filled with thoughts of hope, faith, and victory, you're going to draw in the good things of God. This is a sermon that was preached in a church. And it is heresy. We don't manipulate God by our thinking to get what we want from God. That is not what the word of God says. Also, we are not so sovereign in this world that our attitude determines everything that happens to us. Some of you might be going through very difficult circumstances at this time. And this attitude would say, well, gosh, that's kind of your own dumb fault. Because you should have had a better attitude about it. And this thinking comes into the church and it comes into Christians. Well, if you're suffering, you must just not have a positive enough faith. It's your fault that you're suffering because if you really trusted in Jesus, you wouldn't be suffering. These things are preached from pulpits, especially in America, but around the world. The lie of all of it is that it seems like we are in control and that it's up to us to determine what we get in this world. Now, again, there is some truth in this. The Bible talks about what we think about and focus on. That's actually the heart and soul of the the passage we're looking at today. Our mindset does matter. But there's an assumption throughout this whole lie of this positive mental attitude, which is this world is all there is. That's the lie that's underneath all of it. Because if this world is all there is, my thinking and what happens to me and my experiences, it's a closed loop. My thinking affects my experiences. My experiences affect my thinking. That's all there is. And the Bible says that's not all there is. There's a God who is sovereign over heaven and earth. And he's way more powerful than what our feeble brains can think. He's much bigger than our mindset and our attitudes. The other lie that's along with this is that we determine our own reality, which is another way of saying, I am God. And that's idolatry. And it's a lie. Now, like I said, in the sermon today, I've called it mindset. We need to talk about what our minds are set on. What is our attitude? What is our mental attitude? And yes, we should be positive. I'm not saying go out and be miserable and you'll be much more holy. That's not what the Bible says either. But there's a key difference between what Paul is saying in Colossians 3 and and throughout Scripture and what the secular world and some of these heretical Christian ideas are saying. The key difference is that the focus for us should not be on the quality of our mental attitude or the quantity of our positive thoughts. It should be on the quality of who Jesus Christ is and the quantity of what Christ has done for us. The truth of the attitude that changes us must be based not on us, but on who Christ is and what he's done. That's an completely different mindset than the world that says, you're good enough. 
Just think about yourself. Just have a positive mental attitude. What scripture says is focus on Jesus Christ. Let me read just the first four verses. That's all we're looking at this morning in Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This passage is talking about setting our hearts and our minds on something. Specifically, someone, Jesus Christ. And the rest of Colossians is going to talk about how to live this out. How do you live it out in your marriages, in your parenting, in your workplaces, in a secular society, in a, a world that might be persecuting us? How do we live out this truth? But we've got to get it right here first. And we've been seeing steadily, brick by brick, Paul has been building this argument, Jesus Christ must change everything for the Christian. We've got to know who Christ is and what he's done for us. So many Christians want to have this mindset, and it's good in a sense. Just tell me what to do, God. Just tell me what to do. I just want to obey you. I just want to stop doing the bad things and start doing the, the good things. And that's good, but that's not where the Bible starts. Because that's still looking at me and what I'm doing. We need to look at who Christ is and what he has done. So we're going to look at four essential elements of this Christian mindset. Okay, four essential elements of a Christian mindset. And the first one might look somewhat familiar. There is a God. You're not him. If you've been at Orchard for any amount of time, you've heard me say God is God and I am not. It's, it's a philosophy, a foundational understanding that I have from scripture that I use to preach to myself. That's where that phrase came from. I, I never meant for it to be a thing, um, but I guess it came out in some sermons here and there. So. God is God and I am not is something I use to remind myself, Dave, you are not in control of the world. Yours is not the plan that's being worked out through history. There is a God. His job is not vacant. There's no help wanted sign. He's got this. Trust in him. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, set your hearts on things above. Okay? Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What does Paul mean by above and not on earthly things? Where is above? Are, are we just to lift our gaze as God somewhere out there, up there? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, first man in space, first man to orbit the earth came back, and there's a famous quote maybe you've heard. He came back and he said, allegedly, this. I looked and looked and looked, but I didn't see God. We went to the heavens, he was declaring. And I looked around and I didn't see him. We went to what was above and I didn't see God. Now, interestingly, and I, most of my adult life, I've heard that quote and I thought, wow, you know, it's too bad that he was... So secularistic that that was his attitude. It, mo many experts actually believe he didn't say that. That that was something that the Russian media and the Russian government said that he said. 
And there's pretty strong evidence that Gagarin himself might have actually been a Christian. So this was something that was put out there and attributed to him. That has nothing to do with the sermon. But this does. This idea that you could go somewhere, like there's this cosmic North Pole, and if you could just go there, you would see God. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it says, set your hearts and your minds on things above. Above is not about outer space. It's, it's not that heaven is out there someplace. What Paul is talking about by things above is not to focus on a where so much as a who. Who? Lift your gaze from thinking this world, your life, that this is all there is. And lift your gaze up to focus on God. That there is a God and you're not him. And you might say, Pastor Dave, I don't see that in this verse. It's not really what he's talking about. Look, end of verse 1. Set your, uh, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Where Christ is. And where is he? He is seated at the right hand of God. This world is not all there is. There is a God. We'll come back to Christ in a moment. He rules and reigns over all things. Next verse. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's emphasis is focused on the truth that there is a God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Twice he mentions the emphasis on God's presence. And he says, lift your gaze off of your day-to-day activities and ideas and your strategies and your positive mental attitude. Stop just looking there and look to the Lord. There is a God. What are the first couple words of the entirety of Scripture? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible starts with this profound statement, there is a God. This world is not all there is. There is a God, he made all things, and he is sovereign over all things. This world is not all there is, and this world is not nearly as out of control as we think it is. I know there are times, I feel this way often, turn on the news, you go, oh my goodness, What's going on? And we need to speak truth in our own hearts. What's going on is that God is still on his throne. He's got this. That doesn't mean everything in this world that's going on is is blessed by God and is exactly what he wants. It means that he is using those sinful choices as part of his sovereign plan. He's got this. And he's bringing it all to his perfect conclusion. Focusing on things above is to focus on God. His glory his power, his purpose, his sovereign rule over all things. See, part of the positive mental attitude perspective is that it puts us on the throne, saying that we are in control, that if we would just change our thinking, then we can change the world around us. But we are not to be the focus. God is to be the focus. There is a God. You are not him. There's a sad reality, I think, among many Christians. The sad reality is that many Christians don't actually believe in God. We may say we do. We may proclaim him, songs, prayers, 
services. But all too often we describe God as this idea or a feeling, some cosmic force, or we just live our day-to-day lives as if he just doesn't exist at all. One of the first things that Paul is telling us to set our hearts and our minds on is the truth that there is a God and we need to bring in this corollary truth. We're not him. The other three things that we need to focus on are specifically about Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need to focus on is that Christ reigns over all things. Christ reigns over all things. He says in verse 1 where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's interesting that comma there because he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, comma. Paul's saying, yes, he's reigning over all things, but to stop for a second and focus on the reality, there's a Savior. Christ is right there at the right hand of God the Father. Paul has poured out deep, incredible, rich theology throughout all of his letters, but especially in the beginning of Colossians, to talk about who Christ is and what he's done. And he says, set your mind on who Christ is. But then he does go on past the comma who is at the right hand of God. He's seated at the right hand of God. This is important because Christ is with God, equal to God in all ways. Paul has laid this out for us throughout the rest of Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Chapter 1, verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Um. So the idea is that Christ is fully God. And Paul's painting this picture of here's God sovereign over all things and Christ is right there at his right hand. And he says, focus there, equal to God in all ways. And that he died in our place and rose again. And that Savior reigns on high. He reigns over all things. And this gets to this idea of being seated. And it it really emphasizes two things in kind of the Greek or Hebrew mindset. And part of it is reigning or ruling in honor and dignity. He's seated in the presence of the Lord. You don't stand in the presence, or I'm sorry, you don't sit in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. You you might bow, you you might stand in humble service, but you don't sit unless, unless you're equal. Unless he's invited you in. And it says Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. This emphasizes his rule and his reign over all things. The other interesting thing is that it emphasizes his finished work. There's this, and and I don't think we get this really in our modern culture, but for them, you, you did what you needed to do, and when they emphasize someone sitting down, it's, I'm done. I've done it. It's accomplished. We see this back in the creation story, right? How many days did God work? Six. What day did he rest on? The seventh. And we often talk about, well, he he rested like hard work of creation. I mean, really, creation's not all that hard for God. He didn't need like a nap. He's not tired. Part of resting in the Jewish mindset is I've done the work and now I'm ruling over it. And that's what's being emphasized here. Christ has done the work, and now he's ruling over it. And Paul says we are to have this mindset. Day to day, Christian, remind yourself. My Savior rules on high. 
over heaven and earth, good times and bad, my life and the lives of everyone around me. Jesus Christ reigns over all things. The third thing that Paul emphasizes is that Christ has defeated your death. Christ has defeated your death. Now that's kind of weird. What does it mean Christ has defeated your death? He says this in a couple places. Verse 1, since you have been raised with Christ. There's something different, Christian, about you. You've been raised. This is referring to the resurrection, brought to new life. Verse 3, for you died. Paul's writing this letter to people who are very much alive. They are physically breathing, eating, hearts are pumping. But he says, you died. And then verse 4, he says, when Christ appears, when Christ returns, you also will appear with him in glory. We've talked about this numerous times throughout Colossians. But Christ wants, or I'm sorry, Paul wants us to understand that being a Christian means seeing ourselves through the lens of who Christ is and what he's done. Christ died on the cross. And because Christ died in our place for our sin, we are to look at ourselves and say, the old me has died. I am not who I was. I am not just a better version of myself or even a worse version of myself. In Jesus Christ, I have a new life. That person is dead, buried, and gone because I believe Jesus died in my place. Now that's interesting. When you're facing a very difficult situation, often if you take that to the the worst possible outcome, the thing throughout all of human history that I would say universally, most if not all of humanity is afraid of, is death. What's the worst that could happen? You could die. What if we thought, I've already died. I'm already past that. Been there and done that because my Savior went to the cross in my place. And then we add to it, and I'm risen to new life, not life that I earned or accomplished or just put out into the universe with positive thinking, but life given to me as a gift through Jesus Christ. Paul lived this mindset. And if you want to see this in action, Paul is, I think, one of the best places to look. In uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's not writing this in some comfy study with a fire going in the corner and he's writing by candlelight and just being kind of a a Christian philosopher. Paul's in a dungeon. He's in prison or maybe under house arrest, but he's locked away and there's a very real sense he has gotten that that uh, imprisonment could very well end in his death. And in the first chapter of Philippians, I'd encourage you to read more of it, but he's mulling this over. And he's thinking, what what do I want? And he comes to this conclusion. For to me to live is Christ. 
if, if I get out of here and they don't kill me, I get to live for Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. And he says, if I die, well, I gain. I get to go to be with Christ because my death has already been conquered through Jesus Christ on the cross and my new life has already been assured through Jesus' resurrection. What's the worst that could happen? That's how Paul's looking at this. You know, it's easy to look at Paul and go, man, he's just like this superhero Christian. We can't possibly be like him. Paul is someone who took seriously the truth about Jesus Christ and lived it out. He doesn't have more faith than any of us. He's not some superhero with super Christian abilities. He has the truth of the gospel implanted in his life that he trusts in with his whole heart and he lives it out in everything he does. Your death has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Conquered. He conquered death and rose again. And because he's done this, the Bible promises anyone who trusts in Christ should understand and see themselves as being dead and risen again. As I was writing this, I thought about Dan Lansbury, and I asked him if I could share this, and he said no, but I'm doing it anyway. No, he said yes. Um, <laughs> I do that to my family. I wouldn't do that to Dan. But he said this, and some of you have probably heard this. He's been very public about it, but, but a couple years ago, I don't know, I have no concept of time, but he, was, he went into the hospital for a procedure on his heart and, and through that ended up in a coma for several weeks. And during the procedure on the operating table, his heart stopped a couple of times. Of course, he found out all this once he finally woke up, was in intensive rehab for a long, long time, long time of recovery. We were praying for him for such a long time. But you know, he would often say something and it's hilarious but profound. He would say, you know, being dead changes you. Think about that for a moment. I've already been there. I've already done that. My, my death is done and over and accomplished and conquered. Christ has defeated it. And, and Dan would often talk about the fact that he was living, thinking differently because of what he had been through. Christians, how much more so should we live and think differently because of the fact that our death has already been conquered and our new life has already been assured through Jesus Christ? That's what Paul's saying. Think on this. Focus there. And the fourth thing he says is essential for us to focus on is that Christ is coming back. This world is not only not all that there is, but this world, your circumstances in this world, are not the end of you. They're not. Oh, it might seem that way right now. It might look really dark and you might feel really stuck. But this is not the end of you. Verse 3, he says... For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. As a Christian, you have life that is hidden with Christ in God. Now, what does that mean? Is this like hide and go seek and we need to seek it out and try to find this secret, this mystery? No, that's, that's not the way the Bible uses this word hidden. In fact, there's kind of two main meanings to this, and I think Paul means both of them. One is secured. 
When something is hidden in something else, it is secured in that thing. It's like being hidden in the castle when the armies are outside. You're secured there. You are protected. You are sheltered. The other meaning of hidden that's often used is yet to be revealed. It's not a secret that we have to go out and decode and we're not supposed to count letters and scriptures and play the record backwards. It's not that kind of secret. And that's what the cults do. It's not how God works. When something is described as hidden in scripture, it means God has yet to reveal it. I look at this world. I believe in the victory of the cross and the promise of the new life of the resurrection. But when I turn on the TV or, or I scroll through the news on the internet, that's not what I see. I believe I have new life in Jesus Christ. But there are day-to-day struggles and attitudes that I go through and I forget or I lose my focus on those things. But Paul is saying, There comes a day when Christ is coming back, when your life, already purchased by Jesus, secured, hidden in him, will be revealed. And the truth that you have held on for so long will be opened up to you perfectly forever and ever, and we will all look at Jesus and say, of course, there it is. That's what I've been trusting in this whole time. He explains this in verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christians, the truth of Jesus Christ coming back is not just some far off, distant hope, maybe someday. It is a promise secured in the death and resurrection. If you believe that there is a Jesus and that he died in your place and rose from the grave, make sure you're adding to that He is coming back. Because if we lose that essential truth, we're going to look at this world and say, how do we figure it all out? How do we fix everything in this world? How do we rearrange everything to make it look better? But Christ the King is coming back. And he will reign and he will rule forever and ever. The world, these current situations, your current experiences are not the end of you. Jesus Christ is coming back. This is the mindset that we are to have as Christians. The focus. There is a God. We're not him. Christ reigns over all things. Christ has defeated our death because we've died and risen again in Jesus Christ. And Christ is coming back. And Paul says, set your hearts on these things. Set your minds on these things. Now, we, in our modern-day understanding of that, we take that to mean mind is like thinking where I make choices and heart is emotions. That's not the way Scripture uses it. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just a different culture. For them, the mind was, or I'm sorry, the heart was not just emotions. It was will. It was the direction of your life. This is what I long for, what I'm trusting in and depending on. It goes so much deeper than emotions. And Paul says, set your mind, your thinking, reason this out. Listen to the truth of Jesus Christ. Set your hearts, the will, the direction of your life, what you long for more than anything else. Set these things on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not just saying, think about it, chew on it, 
mull it over from time to time, read a couple of good books. He says, see yourself this way. Change how you look at yourself to look at yourself through the lens of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, change how you look at the world. Look at the world through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, and his future return. Christians, where's your mind set? Where's your heart set? I think a lot of us struggle with a spiritual condition of of kind of being spiritual golden retrievers. Beautiful creatures. Can't focus on anything for any long period of time. And so many Christians, and I struggle with it too, it's like we fixate on something, and, and you know, maybe it's theology or truth or the Bible, or maybe it's experiences, and it's like, oh God, I'm all in for God, and I'm just so passionate about God, I'm all about God, and then all of a sudden, squirrel. And it, it might be an idea of the world, it might be a situation in our lives, bad or good. and just turns our attention away, just like that, and then we're all fixated on that, and then squirrel. There's another thing, and we just become these spiritual golden retrievers jumping from one good thing to the next. And for a while, in the early 2000s, for some it was the secret, for others it's these health and wealth preachers or miracles or whatever it is, and just fixating in all these different things. And Paul says, stop it. Set your heart, set your minds on God and Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. There's one more word we've got to look at before we're done. It's the first word. The New International Version has the word since. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. If you have the English Standard Version, it says if, I believe. If you've been raised with Christ. Both are very accurate translations. In fact, they're both trying to get at kind of a range of meaning from this Greek word. I took a class in high school. It was on a, a computer language called Pascal. Are you familiar with it, Pascal? Pretty sure it was like 10 years dead by the time I learned it. Learned it, studied it. That would be more accurate. But, you know, one of the first things you learn if, if, you, if you ever want to just, you know, on a whim study computer programming, uh, it's something called Boolean logic. Boolean logic, at the heart of it, is if this, then that. For those of you who aren't computer programmers, and that was just way over your head. Uh, Think of a light switch. One switch, one light. If the switch is on, the light is on, assuming you all hooked it up correctly, okay? The switch is off, the light is off. If this, then that. Now, the way the NIV translates this is sense. Sense you've been raised with Christ. Here's what's true about you. That's powerful. And Christians, we need to look at ourselves this way and say, since my Savior died and rose again, these things are true about us. But I think we also need to hear the if. It's a condition. It's a lingering question. It holds out to all of us. Is this true of you? Have you been raised with Christ? Are you trusting in Christ as your Savior Because the 
horrible or difficult reality of Boolean logic, if then, is that if you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, the things in this passage are not true of you. You don't have the hope. Or you can manufacture something. You can try to be a a spiritual golden retriever and find different things to fill it. But you don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. And I say that to warn you, but also to call you. Wouldn't you love to turn the if into a sense? To be able to look at who Jesus is and say, this changes everything. I have new life. In Jesus Christ, I want each person here to have the confidence that Paul is laying out for us in this passage. The rest of Colossians, as I said earlier, is going to talk about how to live out this truth and this confidence. But I want you every day to remind yourself of these truths. To set purposefully, to make a choice to set your heart and your mind on these truths. To wake up in the morning and speak truth to yourself. There is a God. I'm not Him. Christ reigns over all things. When that phone call comes in and you get off the phone and your mind is racing, you're going, it's all falling apart and you don't know what to do, to stop and say, there is a God. I'm not Him. Christ is still reigning over all things. When you're facing your greatest fears, To remind yourself, Christ has already defeated my death. It's done. I'm alive in Jesus Christ. When it looks like the world is falling apart, or your moment or your life is falling apart, to remind yourself, Jesus Christ is coming back. Set your minds on these things. Set your hearts on these things. Let that be the constant mental faith that is so much stronger than any positive mental attitude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are easily distracted people. And God, I praise you that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you grab our attention so often and and you wrestle it away from the things that we're chasing after and you plant it through passages like this straight on the truth of who Jesus is. But God, as you know, and I think a lot of us know as well, it's easy to declare that here, now, in this place. It's easy in this moment to be encouraged by Jesus Christ and the truth of the resurrection. It's easier in this moment to say, I'm going to live this way, I'm going to trust this, I'm going to set my heart and mind on Jesus. But then the distractions and the difficulties come and waves throughout the week. And I don't believe that Paul is writing this saying to just do this on Sunday mornings. God, we need to be people with our hearts and minds set on you and your son, Jesus Christ, every day of the week, every moment of our lives. So help us. And Father, if there's anyone here that's listening to this and saying, this is a a big if, and I don't know if it's true about me, Open their eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ. May they say yes to your son Jesus as their savior so that this would become a sense. Since this is true, these other things are true of them as well. 
And may that give them profound hope and be the watershed moment of their life and their eternity. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.